Beloved congregation, please open your Bibles to the New Testament book of John. John chapter 17. Begin reading at verse 1. Hear the word of the true and living God. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou gavest me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak to the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, that I gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, 
and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Amen. Praise God for the glorious Son of God and his word to us in this portion of Scripture. Let us respond with the singing of Psalter 198, stanzas 1 to 3. Now we have the privilege of confessing the faith once for all delivered unto the saints. What is it that you believe, Christian? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. 
Amen. Shall we now come before our great God in prayer? Let us pray. O great God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom have we in heaven but you? To whom else can we look? Or from from where else can come our help? Our help truly is in the name of the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. None other help and none other hope will prevail amidst all the the rocky circumstances of life, amidst all the turmoil that we often find ourselves in. Only you can bring stability, peace, understanding, calm amidst the chaos and confusion that we are so often thrust. Only you can bring light into our darkness. And only you can bring peace to our souls. It is all found in you, the God of all mercies and the Father of all comforts. It is all in you, O Lord Jehovah, you who have made us and from you that we are the new creation. Every grace, O Lord, comes from your hand. Those graces we call common of family and friends, of property and prosperity, of health and of peace. But you are also the source of every saving grace in the soul, of every true conviction of sin, of every humbling under your mighty hand, of the giving of new life and grace into the soul, of saving faith in the cross of Christ, of the justification whereby we are declared righteous in your sight, of the sanctification whereby from the inward man we are conformed unto the likeness of Christ, of that future glorification where we will be made like unto Christ's glorified, resurrected body and live for never-ending ages in the new heavens and the new earth. Here is the gospel, O Lord, a gospel that comes forth from the eternal decree of God and goes forth unto the never-ending eternity of the world to come. And here we are. Here we are at this time, at this hour, in these circumstances, in the condition in which we find ourselves this afternoon. And what shall we say to these things? How shall we respond? We pray, O Lord, that each one would be driven and and led by the working of your Spirit to find refuge in the cross and blood and death of Christ this afternoon hour. Whether for the very first time or for afresh, we know that there is no safety nor refuge in any other name. And we have heard it spoken often, and yet we must hear it again. 
We must hear it and hear it as we've never heard it before. Oh Lord, may it be so that we would see that we are nothing and the arm of the flesh is nothing and all the efforts that we can muster are nothing, but it is all of grace. It is all from you through Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit that we can be made those new creatures. We ask, O God, and this would be so with us and that it would be well with our families as well, with our little ones, with each covenant family represented here. May they, each one, be visited by your grace and spirit. And we likewise pray that whether grandchildren or um, others, Lord, in our families who would not willingly come to this place, that you would work in them to make this the, the most precious place and the most precious time of their week, communing in your presence. We ask, O oh Lord, that in our community, in our city, you would bring many to visit our congregation, that they would be met with welcome arms and, and friendly uh, greetings, but as well, a spirituality which is demonstrated in our lives whereby we love one another and we love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In this way, they shall know that we are Christ's disciples. Help us, Lord, to give a testimony that is befitting to the Son of God, that we are bought with a price and that our lives belong to him. We pray, Lord, that you would be with all those who have anxious cares and worries and we pray in a special way for Martha Dyer, as we know that she would love to be here, but please, Lord, sustain and help her in her infirmity and sickness and ongoing challenges. Likewise, pray for Gerhard Rusink and his dear wife, Diana, and please, Lord, please, Lord, bless them. Please, Lord, strengthen them. Please help them with every need of both body and soul. We likewise pray for um, that you would be with all of our congregation, Lord. You know, Lord, those who have uh, problems, those who have cares and distresses. Please, Lord, give in abundant measure to each and every one. Please help us now to profit from your word. Help us, we pray, to be strengthened and healed by him. For those who are listening in, wherever they may be. They may receive a blessing in their souls as well. Help us, we pray, O God, and forgive us for our manifold sins and trespasses. For we pray it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us sing from Psalter 198, stanzas 4 to 7.
people of the congregation of the Lord. The hour has come. At a pivotal point in the life of our Lord Jesus's, uh, the, the, the point in Lord Jesus's life when after his birth, after his upbringing and uh, being raised in that carpenter's family, after his entrance into the ministry and these long three years of ministering unto the people, he is now at the very precipice of his passion and death. He, in this Gospel of John, of has bared his heart before his disciples. He's ministered unto their, uh, their spiritual needs and, and sought to console them and prepare them for what is to come. Ahead of him in the Garden of Gethsemane lies betrayal, arrest, ultimately crucifixion as he is raised up before men. The hour, he says, has come in the early lines of this chapter, which speak of his prayer before the Father. He lifts up his eyes. He looks up heavenward. And from those lips proceed these words contained in this chapter, a most remarkable chapter, the longest prayer ever recorded from our Lord and Savior. And not only is it most interesting, obviously, to hear the prayer life of the Lord Jesus as he speaks in in this direct way to his Father, but we're told from this chapter that for believers there is a great joy that can be known from hearing these words. That's communicated in verse 13, where Jesus says, And now come I to thee, concerning his Father, and these things I speak in the world, that they may, might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. If I understand the Lord's meaning here, he had a great uh, purpose and intention for so speaking these prayers in the hearing of his disciples. He wanted them recorded for all time until the very end of the world. Because as we hear what it was he was praying about at the very point at which he was about to be betrayed and crucified, we can also hear what it is he continues to pray after he comes to his Father. What is the joy? What is the joy of the believer in knowing how it is God, uh, God continues to hear prayers from the mediator Jesus Christ also today? Well, that is sort of the the question that I would ask us to consider, and especially focusing on verses 4 and 5 and some of the, the surrounding context as well. And we'll consider verses 4 and 5 under this theme, God and Christ glorified, or the glorification of God in Christ. 
in the first place, Christ glorifies, well, in the first place, God glorifies Christ. In the second place, Christ glorifies God. And in the third place, God and Christ glorified in the church. So God glorifies Christ, Christ glorifies God, and God and Christ glorified in the church. Let's consider these uh, verses in which I will now read in your hearing, verses 4 and 5. These words from the lips of the Savior. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. seems to me the way to begin in getting something of our, our minds and hearts around this passage is what we have before us in verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self. Every prayer, as you know, if it is a true prayer, it is directed towards God. And it is a prayer that is a sincere expression of the desire of the heart. Now here is the Lord Jesus, and he speaks as a man, as indeed the God-man, the mediator, this one who is appointed to intercede for his people. He addresses his father, the father who, as concerns his deity, begot him before all worlds from eternity without beginning. He has been with his father in the one Godhead. And now he speaks to his father and he asks to be glorified. This is his heart's desire. Glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Jesus Christ in the very last hour before he plunges into the terrible events that will unfold, he focuses his mind upon this, his desire that he would be glorified by God the Father. He wants to be with his Father, to be, as he says, glorified with thine own self. To be in his presence. To know communion and union with his Father. And indeed, uh, there is some connection here with uh, the glory which he has naturally from eternity. Speaking of his deity, uh, that seems to be what he has in view when he says of the glory which I had with thee before the world was. But... Now as he speaks as a man and as a mediator, he now wants a taste of that in a new and special way. He wants as as a man, he is a creature. As a man, he has a beginning. He was born of the virgin. 
And in his holy heart, he yearns, he yearns to be in the presence of his Father in heaven, to be done with all of the, of the pain and agony and suffering of his humiliation, to depart from this world of, of so much sin and evil and, and labor and to be in heavenly glory. He longs with a holy longing and a holy desire to be in the presence of his Father. In this way, he wants to be glorified. And this is what he enjoys right now. This prayer was heard of God the Father. This prayer was answered of God the Father at this very hour in which I speak to you. And as you hear, Jesus Christ is reaping the benefits of this. He is being glorified among the majesty which is on high. At the right hand of his Father, he is receiving his reward of perfect fellowship with his Father, perfect delight with his Father in all of his infinite perfections of wisdom, holiness, knowledge, righteousness, glory. He is with his Father, enjoying all that. If I would think of one passage that vividly describes this, it would be the 21st Psalm. I'd like to just read the the six verses, which in very poetic, beautiful language describe this glorification of Jesus Christ. Listen to what it says here. The king shall joy in thy strength, O Lord. And in thy salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. Thou hast given him his heart's desire and hast not withholden the request of his lips. Selah. For thou preventest him with the blessings of goodness. Thou settest a crown of pure gold on his head. He asked life of thee, and thou gavest it him, even length of days, forever and ever. His glory is great in thy salvation. Honor and majesty hast thou laid upon him, for thou hast made him most blessed forever. Thou hast made him exceeding glad with thy countenance. The emphasis here is the joy in Jesus Christ's heart that he anticipated at the point when he made this prayer upon the earth and which he is now delighting in at this very moment. So if we would ask the question, Christian, how is it that hearing Jesus say these words can bring joy to your soul? Let, it, let us just begin with this thought. Does it matter to you that no matter what you may be going through, no matter the suffering that you are yet experiencing, that this one, Jesus Christ, is knowing perfect blessedness and happiness in the presence of his Father. Does that matter to you? Let us, let us say that you were in a place where you could not say anything about yourself one way or another. Couldn't even be sure that you had um, even a particle of true grace in your soul. Let us say that you were in such a stupor that you could not so much as lift up to your eyes unto heaven in your own cause or interest. 
What about this? There is Christ. He is truly there in the presence of his Father. He is reaping his reward. He is delighting in the presence of his Father. How does that sit with you? How does it affect you? If you have any true love for Christ, ought you not to be rejoicing with him, even on some level? To say, who is more worthy to receive such a reward? Who is more honorable in all things that he should be so magnified and glorified in the presence of his Father? That is where we begin, congregation. Have we love for Christ in our hearts that we can rejoice with him, even when we consider his own rights and benefits from this prayer that we see here. So we see the, uh, that, um, that God uh, glorifies Christ. And the second thing I'd like to see from these verses is that Christ glorified God. Christ glorified God. We see that in the preceding verse of verse 4, which is really an argument for why it is that Christ should be so glorified of his Father. In verse 4 we read, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. So it's a sound argument here that he is making. If, if we want to be very blunt about it, he is saying, Lord God, glorify me, Father, because I deserve it, because I have earned it. Now, I would wager to say that there has never been among these, uh, these people here in this church building, nor any true believer, a prayer like that. Who among us can pray unto our Father, in this way and say, Lord, give me my heart's desire because I deserve it and because I've earned it. No. Each one of us, if we would pray for anything, it is only in this way that I am an unworthy sinner. I am unworthy of the least blessing. I am worthy of hell. But whatever I receive is only by your mercy, Father. It is only a gift of grace completely otherwise with this one. Jesus uh, says here, I have glorified thee on the earth. The honor of God was attested to with everything that Jesus Christ did. It says in uh, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 that he, Jesus Christ, is the brightness of the Father's glory the exact image of his person. And he said earlier on in this gospel that he, uh, that if you have seen him, you have seen the Father personally as a, uh, as a glorious God-man mediator. He is the one who perfectly represents the character of his Father before men. And he does so as we see in the carrying out of the Father's will. For he says, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And so really, 
this whole gospel history in the book of John or any of the other gospel writers, if we would, would have spiritual eyes to see anything that the Lord Jesus says or does, it is a demonstration of the Father's character, of the Father's will, of his purpose, and, and ultimately of his glory. And children, I wonder if, if this is all a little bit hard for you to explain for you to understand. Let me let me think of an example for you to understand children. Do you remember that time in the gospels when there were some mommies and daddies and they brought their little kids to Jesus for a blessing? Do you remember that? And and some of the disciples said, "Well, maybe Jesus is a little bit too busy for him, for meeting with uh, little kids." And you remember what Jesus said? He said, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus, he took those little children, those little kids into his arms and he, he blessed them. And, and children, this is important for you to understand, isn't it? That if you would have any ever doubts, if God is for me, if God uh, cares for me, if God will receive me, then What you have to do is you have to look at Jesus Christ there. Look at how freely he receives those little kids. Look how he delights in them. Look how he freely blesses them. Is this someone who it's scary to approach and and to talk to? No. This is someone that you should long to talk to. Someone you should long to be with. Someone who will will surely bless you you if you come unto him today. And in that, he was, being, he was glorifying his father. He was magnifying the father's character before a watching world. I'll consider this example. You, you know of that story of Lazarus, I, I trust, that dear friend of the, of the Lord Jesus, and he had that terrible illness, and um, he heard about this illness, but in his wisdom, he delayed his coming to his dear friend. And, and in the delay, of course, there's Lazarus, and he, and he dies. And after he makes his way to, to meet the family, he, he meets with, um, with Martha, who comes to him, and then, and then Mary runs to him and said, Lord, if you had been here, he would not have died. A suffering, grieving family. The dear people of God in anguish and is he unmoved is he just a robot no the depths of his heart are are filled with sorrow seeing the the sight of the grief that is before him and so it says Jesus weeps weeps with that graveside and that grieving family and in this Is he not testifying to his people when they are going through very serious struggles, when they are burdened with many problems and anxious cares, that if they would know if God has any regard for such as them, if if God's love is for those who are burdened and, and sorrowful, then they have but to look at the Lord Jesus Christ, at his heart of love as he was glorifying the character of his father at that very moment, coming alongside and comforting, and of course, by his sovereign might, raising.
from the dead. Dear man Lazarus. But of course, I think that the, the thing that is centrally on the Lord Jesus' mind here is the crucifixion itself. And it's most interesting. It's, um, it's here in the prayer before he is crucified, and yet it's, it's clear that he is speaking in a way as though that had already passed, as though it was already behind him. And, and I think this is a clue that we are to see these words as not only prayers that Jesus offered in his ministry, but also that he continues to offer today from the throne of glory. I have finished, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. What can we but think of congregation? But on that hill of Golgotha, before Jesus breathed his last, those glorious words that rang out for all the crowd to hear, it is finished. It is finished. As he says here, he has finished all the work that God gave him to do. From the very beginning of his, his life, he delighted to do the will of his father. He said at one point to his disciples that this was his very meat, his very food, to do the work that his father gave him to do. But it was never complete until he was lifted up upon that cross. As he said to Nicodemus, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It was there in the cross that the greatest act of Christ's obedience and the greatest glorification of God was manifested. For there how we see that both the justice of God against sin and the mercy of God towards sinners, they met and kissed on the cross of Golgotha. And now we have the glorious testimony, the glorious gospel which sets forth Christ and him crucified unto sinners like you and me. This is of what Jesus is speaking of here as the warrant for him praying for his own glorification. Before we leave this consideration, congregation, we return to that question. What is it in particular about hearing these words that can bring joy to the Christian? Well, consider uh, this. You know in, in your own heart, if you are at all spiritually aware that your own works for the Father, your own attempts to glorify God, they are so often and indeed always pitiful in comparison to what we have here. Here is one who perfectly glorified God, perfectly pictured God, and what poor image bearers we are so often of of the Lord. How often do we rather image our own sinful selves before a watching world? How often do we have impure motives and selfish thoughts and, and so much that detracts from the glory of God? If we would really know ourselves, we would have to cry out before God and say, Lord, if thou shouldest mark iniquities, who should stand? But then we hear these words. Can you hear them echoing out from the heavenly throne them up 
throne room. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have glorified thee on the earth. Jesus continues to pray and to pray and to pray and say, Lord, here is my obedience. Before you would even look at any of the the offerings that my people have to give, consider my offering, great Father. Consider everything that I did on your behalf. Consider how I reflected your honor upon the earth. We would so consider this congregation that in him we are righteous because not only has he performed all the works that God gave him, but he continues to present his obedience before his Father on our behalf. Then surely there is ground for great joy here. Indeed, we can say there is no condemnation for them who are in Christ Jesus. But in the third and last place congregation, we would consider not only um, that uh, God glorifies Christ and Christ glorifies God, but God and Christ are glorified in the church. Now I said that um, these things are spoken the disciples hearing for a very important reason. And and we saw that uh, already there's much that brings joy to the followers and believers in the Lord Jesus as we daily meditate upon these things in our different life circumstances. But I think we also ought to see that where the glory of God and where the glory of Christ is concerned, that we as his people, we are always implicated in that. And if you would want to know what I mean, just just look at the logic of this. He's Um, He's set forth his own glorification of God and he's pled that he himself would be glorified in return. And you notice how it is he continues and how in particular it's his people that he is speaking about in the words of verse 4. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me unto the world Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. So we see here that uh, in what is really a prayer for the ages, a prayer for the church in all seasons, a great amount of What the Lord Jesus is talking about was his followers in the days of his earthly ministry. I think that's worth thinking about because Jesus spent so much time talking about here. This this group that he gathered together through his word, the word of his, his gospel. Who are these men? Well, it's sort of a motley crew of, of misfits, really, if we would think about it. There are those burly fishermen. There is that uh, Simon the Zealot. There is that tax collector Matthew. There are these uh, assorted group of women. And really, you'd, you'd look at them and, and you'd say, all of these people, people who are formerly prostitutes and, and the very dredges of society, well, well, what really point is there in even speaking of such things? Surely, it's if we're going to talk about sinners at all, it will be the global church of all ages that Jesus 
begins with, and indeed he does speak about his church throughout all the world in this chapter, but this is where it begins. He thinks of those individual followers of his that he has gathered from the world. You notice how precious these followers of his are in verse 9. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. This was an argument that Jesus knew would have particular weight with God, his Father, and that is holding forth the individual Christians, even that small number in the days of his earthly ministry, as proof of his faithfulness. He watched over them all. He cared for them one by one. He preserved them. He he brought them into his kingdom of light and love and liberty. And and he has secured each one of them, even to that very hour. And he did so because they were given to him from the Father. And they belong to him. This is... Something that in all the, the affairs of the universe that you would consider God's hand in, you might say this, this doesn't really matter. This small group of people bound together with a common love for the Lord Jesus, but in the scales of history, this was what really mattered. A small congregation of believers. And let us... Say this congregation, we might look at our small group here and, and week in to week out we may say, well, it's, it's not as, as all that. It's not a, a big thronging group of people and, and surely what does it matter one way or the other? But the eyes of God are upon this place, upon every group of believers who call upon his name, even this group, even upon you and I brothers and sisters. We are implicated in the glorification of God. We are his workmanship. And so we have no right to speak disparagingly of certainly the church or our own place and role in it, for it is a sacred thing whenever there is even one or two that gather in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only is the glorification of God implicated uh, in this small group of people, but you notice what he adds in verse 10. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Not only only the glorification of God, God here, but the glorification of Christ. We are his reward. We are what Jesus Christ was praying for. Indeed, that group of believers in in his own day, but as we see from the surrounding context, all believers throughout the ages, the reward of Jesus Christ. I think of that that wonderful line in, in Psalm 2 where God the Father speaks to his son and says, Ask of me and I'll give thee the heathen, the Gentiles, for thine inheritance and the ends of the earth for thy possession. 
of the glorification of God and the glorification of Christ, it is bound up with this, the salvation of individual souls. What would it mean for you today, you who have never tasted of the joy of the Lord? You've heard many a sermon on John 17 and for you it has never meant anything at all. You can't understand what it is to really have joy in these words. And perhaps you've come to the end of another sermon and you hear these things and and you have to say it's not done anything for you this afternoon either. Well, would it not bring such joy unto Jesus if even today you would face the hardness of your own heart, that you would bring that hard heart unto this one and you would surrender everything, your all and your soul and your, and your future unto this one who is worthy to be glorified in your salvation. Ultimately, the gospel is about him. He is worthy to receive his reward, congregation. No matter whom you may be, come unto Jesus Christ. Give him his heart's delight. And you will experience joy in return. For there is no greater joy than bringing joy to him. Amen. Let's sing Psalter 182, stanzas 1 to 3.
us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are worthy to receive honor and praise and glory beyond measure. For you've conquered over the devil and of sin and death and the grave. And you have risen again from the dead on the third day. And we thank you that even now, you who have ascended to the right hand of the glory on high, you delight in your Father and are glorified of him. And you present all the ways in which you have glorified him upon the earth. And we pray, O Lord Jesus, that you would continue to glorify your God and Father and that he, in turn, would glorify you upon the earth still in the salvation of souls. Please, O Lord Jesus, apply your Holy Spirit into all that has been uttered. Seal it unto our souls that we may behold your glory, even the glory as of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth, and in your light see life. Please bless each and every one. Go forth with us in the remainder of this week. Be with um, our consistory meeting. Be with uh, all the preparation for our annual meeting. And we pray, Lord, that each and every one would conduct themselves as a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray it all in his most blessed name. Amen. Let us sing from Psalter 182, stanzas 4 to 7.
Now depart in peace and receive the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.